0: Welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at Christchurchws.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Please remain standing and pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for good news. We thank you for gospel. We thank you, Lord, that we hear the good news of your extravagant love and Mary's extravagant love returned in this passage from John's gospel this morning. Lord, I pray that as we come before the text, as we submit ourselves to your word, that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide the preaching of the gospel. Lord, be with me. Empower me, Lord. Bear me up. Let your word come through me and may Christ alone receive glory. And Lord, let all of us be carried by those everlasting arms. Lord, carry us in your word, we pray, into your presence. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We probably need to set the stage a little bit for the gospel lesson that we heard this morning. Um, In this gospel lesson from John's gospel, and by the way, if you thought it was going to be Luke chapter 20, you were right, but at the last minute I changed it to John's gospel because uh, as we move to Holy Week, this seems to be more appropriate. But in the gospel lesson this morning, Jesus has stopped at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and that house is in Bethany. In fact, I've, I've actually been in that little village of Bethany, which is right outside of Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and that Passover feast in six days is going to end with Jesus being crucified. And I want us to remember as we come to this passage in John's gospel that John makes it a point, in fact, it's it's different from the synoptic gospels, but John is telling the the spiritual point of view of what's going on here. It's important to remember that in uh, John's gospel, the crucifixion actually occurs at the hour that the Passover lambs are being slaughtered. The crucifixion of Jesus in John's gospel occurs at the hour that the Passover lambs are being slaughtered for Passover. And so throughout his gospel, John is painting a portrait of how extravagant, how lavish the love of God is. God Himself on that Passover day, that day when the lambs are being slaughtered, God Himself becomes the sacrifice. Jesus is the Passover lamb that saves us from the destroyer. Jesus is the lamb, as John says. John the baptizer in John's gospel says, two different Johns. Jesus is the lamb that takes away the the sins of the world. So God's extravagant love has been at the very heart. This love of God, this overwhelming love of God has been at the very heart of John's gospel from the beginning. You can recall that way back in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus, one of the rulers of Israel, one of the Pharisees, comes to Jesus by night... He comes and they have this discourse, this conversation. And in the midst of that, we hear these words, and they're very familiar words, John 3.16 and John 3.17. For God, Jesus said, for God so loved the world. He's setting the stage for God's extravagant love. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus is a mere six days away from the most extravagant expression of love that the world has ever known. And on His way to spread out His arms in an embrace that will encompass the whole world, Jesus stops in Bethany at the home of some of His dearest friends. And way back in John chapter 11, we know how dear they are to Him. In John chapter 11, verse 5, this is what we hear. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We don't hear that that same sentence about anybody else in John's gospel. But it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. In just a few words, in this passage, John paints a picture of a scene that I, I hope that we can see clearly in our mind's eye. John chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Martha served. Well, that pretty much sums up Martha (laughs) because we met her for the very first time in a different gospel, in Luke's gospel in chapter 10. And what was Martha doing? She was wearing herself out with serving. I think she might be one of those people, uh, one of those practical people who's uncomfortable with displaying affection. And so she shows her love uh, for Jesus by serving. And I think there's people in our church that do exactly the same thing. Lazarus was reclining at the table with Jesus, and I wonder what was going through his mind, because, you know, the voice of Jesus for Lazarus must have had special power, since it was that voice that had called him back from the dead, back in, again, back in John chapter 11, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out walking. Now, Jesus is on... So I want you to think about the juxtaposition. Lazarus had come out of a tomb because Jesus raised him. But now Jesus is on his way towards a tomb because of God's love for this world. And they intersect right here at this table the one that Jesus had brought out of, the tomb, out of the tomb, and here at this table, the one who is going towards the tomb, meet for one last time before that event. And I wonder if I were Lazarus, what would be going through my mind? What would we have talked about? If I was Lazarus, I think I just would want to be close to Jesus. But the person we can't help noticing in this passage is Mary, and that's really where the action centers. Look, at if you have the uh, your scriptures open there, to John chapter 12, verse 3, John 12, verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house, and then John adds this, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Somehow Mary has recognized that Jesus was going to Jerusalem for the last time. From the way that they have been talking, Jesus' twelve disciples, those men that are going with Him up to Jerusalem, they weren't nearly as discerning. But to Mary it was obvious that the rulers had determined to kill Jesus She saw what no one else could see. No one at that table except Mary saw this. And so then in a lavish act of love, she takes the most precious thing that she has and she honors Jesus with it. She takes her most valuable and precious possession and she honors Jesus with it. Mary recognizes the extravagant love of Jesus, what he is about to do. And when someone loves you like that, it generates extravagant love in return, lavish love and return. Her gift was worth, it says, a year's wages, about 360 denarii, I guess is what it would be. And she poured out a year's wages on Jesus' feet so that now that gift can never be used for anything else. Think about that. It's not even like the sacrifices in the temple. There were certain things, certain sacrifices were fully consumed in the fire in the temple. But a lot of the sacrifices, it was like a barbecue, y'all. We sacrifice to the Lord and now we eat it. And that sounds like fun to me. You know, I mean, we're still getting something back from that. But what Mary does can never, she can never put that nard back in its alabaster bar, uh, box again. She totally devotes it to Jesus Christ. And then she does something funny. She does something strange. She anointed his feet. And yes, anointing his feet is an expression of humility. And as you think about it, if they are reclining at table, and of course they are reclining at table, uh, by this time, in in the ancient world, people ate, leaning on one elbow, reclining with their head towards the center, and it was called a triclinium, Uh, in Roman households it was anyway, and it was sort of a uh, three-sided bench. And people would, would recline in the, t- around that table and servants would bring in or whoever was serving would bring in the food and go around and everybody was looking at each other and your feet were out behind you and you um, were on an elbow and eating. I'm, I'm left handed, so I wouldn't have done well in the ancient world <laughs> or parts of the world that aren't ancient right now. So, and they would just be eating like this and speaking to one another. And so Jesus' feet are back behind him at the table, but this is a strange place to anoint someone because as you are familiar, and of course, Jesus's head was easily accessible. He, Mary could have walked into between all those, those reclining benches and just anointed Jesus's head. And as you will recall, kings were anointed on the head. But when David was anointed as king of Israel, Samuel poured out oil on his head. Kings were anointed on the head. But Jesus is not going to Jerusalem to be crowned king. He is going to Jerusalem to die. And that's where you begin the anointing of a dead man at his feet. But in, but the over, over the top act of Mary doesn't just stop with the anointing. No, then she takes, she spreads that anointing over his feet with her hair. She was so totally wrapped up in her Worship of Jesus. She didn't care what anyone else thought. This was an intimate and Selfless act of lavish love on her part. To let down her hair was an act of intimacy and an act of grief because a Jewish woman would never be seen in public with her hair down and exposed with the exception of being in the throes of abject bereavement. And Mary is bereaved. And the whole house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It is the smell of love. It is the fragrance of worship that can no longer be contained but has broken out to be lavished on the beloved. And that's the way it is with this kind of love, extravagant love. It doesn't just touch the beloved. When we, and when we worship God extravagantly, it's not just about us. It's not even just about God. It is like a perfume that affects the entire, entire room. And Mary's act of love perfumes the very universe. (laughs) It's 2019, and we are still talking about it. Extravagant love has a blast radius that just keeps going and going. And, you know, that's why we still use incense in church. We don't use it all the time, but we do use it on special days. It is the olfactory echo of the frankincense and myrrh that were placed in the lap of Jesus's mother by those magi. It is the incense poured out on Jesus's feet by the sinful woman in the house of Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7. It is the smell of spikenard offered up by this Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And if it seems too weird or extravagant to you, well, you'll just have to excuse us because that's the way love acts sometimes. It smells up the place. There is an extravagance about genuine love. Uh, And, you know, at different stages in our life, that, that love gets expressed in different ways. Uh, you know, we receive extravagant love, hopefully, from our parents. Um, I, it's, uh, it's not, it can, yeah, it can be idolatrous. But um, I just remember when my daughter, my first daughter, was placed in my arms, and I looked at her, and I, it was adoration, adoration. Somebody loved you like that, I pray God they did. Or maybe when you fall in love, you know what that extravagant love is like. There's actions associated with that. Men go shopping for no good reason. Uh, There's there's the extravagant love you experience as a parent towards a child. There's extravagant love that grandparents alone can get away with. Extravagant love. There is something about the nature of genuine love that is not satisfied until it offers the grandest, most sincere, most costly gesture possible. And it's not just human love that is that way. It's actually human love is responding to the fact that the very template and pattern of love that is at the center of the universe, the nature of love that lies at the very essence of the cosmos, that's the way that love is. It's extravagant love. God's love is extravagant love we get all cramped in how we think about God's love for us. There is not a place on this uh, on earth or in heaven or in hell that the love of God does not reach. Even if I go down to Sheol, thou art there. It was love, sheer outrageous overflowing, abundant, profligate love which motivated God's act of creation. In the fullness, in the blissful completeness of the Holy Trinity, there was no necessity for God to create. There was no need to make the worlds. Instead, it was the fact that God is love... That expanded the eternal solemn dance frolic of the Godhead to include this universe and ultimately you and me. We are all the overflow of the love of God. Sometimes love does something terribly expensive and beautiful. And if you aren't, and here's the thing though if you're not in the community of that love, that expression looks wasteful and foolish. If you're not in the in the network, if you're not in the community of that love, if you don't, if your heart is not in with what's going on in that expression of love, it looks wasteful and foolish. It looks wasteful and foolish because these acts tend to be about as other focused as anything that we are able to accomplish. Now all across, even to this day, they're still there, all across Central and Western Europe, great cathedral churches, built during the Middle Ages, still dot the landscape. And most of those people who worked to build and then worshiped in those churches lived at an economic level of hardship that you and I just can't imagine. And to the secular mind, and I have heard this, to the worldly mind, that, that, that the mind that's not taken captive by the love of God There's actually something, I've heard people say things like this, that is almost obscene when they think about the juxtaposition of this grand building and then the living conditions of the people who built that church. But those churches are love songs to God built in stone. And they're still there today singing that song. To those who have an ear to hear, uh, there is a, um, a Christian who is actually, he's, a, he's an essayist and a columnist and an author. I won't even mention his name right now. But he was very, very far away from God as a teenager. And it's when he got, his mother was, had won a trip to France. And she gave it to him because she didn't want, they they lived in Louisiana and he didn't want, she didn't want to go to France, but it was his lifelong dream to get out of small town Louisiana and go to Europe. And so he went to, as a secular 17 year old, full of himself teenager, he went around uh, all all those uh, places he wanted to see in France. And one of the places they stopped off was Chartres Cathedral. Chartres Cathedral. France is a very secular place now. It's factually encoded into French law. It's called laïcité, and it just means that we're gonna we are a second we're gonna enforce secularity in the public square. But this young man goes into this very in, in, into into this cathedral in the very secular country of France, and he walks in, and he somehow, by the grace of God, he heard the love song, love song in stone and in glass. And he was converted by a daggone thousand-year-old church building, y'all. Why tie up so many resources, so much creativity in stone and mortar and glass? Because God's love is a spendthrift. if you aren't in love with God, if you see resources as limited and as yourself as the one who deserves a good cut of those resources, then these acts of wild, loving, gift-giving create resentment. A resentment so small and mean and petty that it has to wear the mask of conservation of resources and good stewardship. For whatever reason Judas made his objection, we are sure that the reason he gave, why was, why, why do this? This, this gift could have been sold and the money given to the poor. One thing we can be sure of is that he didn't care about the poor. That's not the real reason for his offense and Mary's gift. I think if you want to know, since he is going to be the betrayer, I think it is he is so out of step with the love that Mary has with Jesus, he just feels convicted. You know, I've seen this over and over. People will mask the real reason for their objection to something because they're aware, even if they don't want to articulate it themselves, that their real motivation is base and shallow and self-serving. Uh, years ago in a, in, a, in a town far, far away, uh, Lisa and I planted a church and we built a church building. After seven years, we finally built a building. And uh, and as we were going through the building process, we were going to do it in phases. And so the phase one building would really be a multi-purpose building that one day would be the parish hall and multipurpose and all that kind of stuff. And so we wanted to have chairs, movable seating in that, because one day it wasn't going to be a sanctuary. It was going to be a place for people to have, sit down and have a meal, and there would be a big, beautiful sanctuary somewhere else on the property. And so uh, when we began to build that building... And we were talking about getting those chairs, what kind of chairs we were going to get. One woman was just uh, umbrage. She took umbrage. She took umbrage with that. No, no, no. We must have pews. Well, this isn't the final sanctuary. We're going to have pews one day, but we need to have movable seating here because we're going to put chairs and tables and eat in here and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. There must be pews. And she gave one reason after another. And they were holy reasons. We got to have. Now, look, I'm not I'm not. I love my pews. Don't get me wrong. But in that setting, we needed to have chairs. And and she gave good holy reasons like could not these things be sold to give to the poor. But what it turned out was is that she wanted pews because she wanted it to look real nice for when her daughter got married. That was the real reason. But the kicker was her daughter wasn't even going steady with anybody. It was just the very very glimmer of hope that somebody would marry that girl (laughs) and would do it in that church, and she wanted there to be pews. She knew her real reason was not going to fly. Oh, Mary, what a waste. What excess She understands what it really means to love Jesus Christ. She loves Jesus with abandon. Thank you, God, for Mary. Thank you for her reminding us what we should be loving you like. She loves him like this because she has received an incredible gift. She foresees the kind of love that God is going to show on the cross. Her action is her response to God's great gift of love in Jesus Christ. She loves him because he first loved her. You know, spikenard is a, it's a pungent and pleasant but long-lasting odor, and it's all over Jesus' feet. And it's probably in his clothing as well, on the hem of his robe. And I wonder when he was drugged before uh, Caiaphas and Annas and Pilate the day before he was, or the day that he was crucified, I wonder if he could, sp- if he could still smell it. That when the blows fell on his face, He remembered how much she loved him. Every Sunday morning, we pour out a perfume of worship for our Lord. We worship because we want to love Jesus like Mary loved him. We need to come back over and over again. We forget. Worship is crazy. Being in church on Sunday is an extravagant. Waste of time. It's a waste of time that in the eyes of the world just doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems so strange, so wasteful, so extravagant to those who haven't come under the power of the love of God. Um, maybe, Maybe to really worship well, you have to be five years old again. We have, uh, you know, thank God for at least, the one good thing for sure about our uh, smartphone technology is you can take pictures everywhere now. I think that's a good thing. One of the things that keeps showing up is pictures of children worshiping, little children. I think maybe to worship well you have to kind of be five. Um, I think back when our little girls were five years old uh, and they lived with such joyful abandon, they would run up to us and squeeze us and tell us how much they loved us. And they didn't care who noticed. They didn't care. They would bring us flowers. (laughs) Uh, Everything that you're trying to kill in your front yard. (laughs) They would draw us pictures and they would sing us little songs. They would dance little dances for us. And I have the videos to prove it. Do you see the connection with showing God our love and worship? And yet we become cautious and conservative in our expressions of love as we get older. We get cramped and confined and suspicious of extravagant gestures. But maybe uh, Jesus wants to remind us to love him extravagantly today to let down your hair, to raise your hands, to weep at his feet, to not care who is looking at us or what we're thinking, to love him so much that it doesn't matter that we are exposed and vulnerable and that the only thing that matters in our universe is him right that minute. And we will gather with Jesus around a table just like those friends did today. And we will love him at this altar again. Next week is Palm Sunday. We're going to do a lot of weird things in Holy Week. We're going to, for no good reason, look strange. Our neighbors think we're a cult. (laughs) We're... We'll gather outside with palm branches in our hands and thrown up people are going to come marching down that sidewalk shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Worship does things like that. And then on Monday, Thursday, we're going to gather in this room and it's not required. (laughs) I have to tell people that. I don't want them to avoid the service. But many of us will take off our shoes and socks and get our feet naked our feet naked, and stoop down low and wash one another's feet. And at Good Friday, we will weep at the foot of the cross again. And then on Easter Vigil, that Saturday night after sun goes down, we'll start outside with a bonfire chanting. Like Christians have chanted now, it's only been for like the last 1,700 years. The light of Christ, thanks be to God. God's love is a spendthrift. Let down your hair, break open the nard, worship Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at Christchurchws.org. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.